We're the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. Whenever you cats are kittens are, this is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo. Joined as always by my right-hand man, Hal Bent, of full press coverage. Well, it appeared it wouldn't for a while, but Super Wild Card Weekend actually lived up to its name. Despite games that featured massive, and I mean massive, discrepancies at the quarterback position, four of the six NFL wildcard playoff contests went down to the wire, including the third largest comeback in NFL postseason history. And this year's divisional round has contests that promise to be equally, if not as more, dramatic. Although it'll be very hard, if not impossible, to top last season's divisional round where each game was decided on the final play, I still think we're in for some of the most heart-palpitating, nail-biting playoff football we've ever seen this weekend, aren't we, Hal? We certainly are, David. There are eight great teams that are still in the race for the Super Bowl right now, and I'm excited about all eight of them. I, you know, again, the the Super Wild Card, I was sitting there this weekend going, wait a minute, why are they calling it Super? (laughs) Well, it lived up to that name, Super for sure. And I'm going to take my bow real, real quick, David. I told you Minnesota would be one and done months ago. Months ago. I said, I don't care if the, how many games they win. One and done. So I I'm can't believe my- I I can't believe I drank the purple Kool-Aid. Hell, I just can't believe it. I was suckered into it after their miracle win over the Bills, but that was just more dumb luck uh, than anything exactly. else. And uh, the Vikings, uh, their luck had to run out at some point. Like, who goes 11 and 0 in one score games <laughs> in the regular season? Who does? It had to end in the playoffs and uh, the giants to their credit ended it. And what was your biggest uh, lesson learned from super wildcard weekend, Hal? And, you know, I, I, I think I put too much into this third time as a charm when teams are playing for the third time in a season, uh, you know, Buffalo, Miami, what a great game, Miami, uh, keeping it close right to the finish and then Seattle and San Francisco meeting up for the third time. And for the first half, that was one heck of a game, uh, Seattle keeping it close. So uh, that third time we got one more of those this week. I'm <laughs> loving it. And you know, there's nothing as nasty as teams meeting for the third time in a season division rivals. The more we see of it, the better the games. Um, so third time's a charm. That's what I learned. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not, but I think this year we've already gotten two great games out of these grudge matches, and we got one more this week, so I am ecstatic, loving the third time is a charm game. Oh, very, very good point there, Hal. My biggest lesson learned is this. Yes, there are so many candidates this season who are deserving for Coach of the Year honors. Uh, You could make the case for Kyle Shanahan. You can make the case for Mike Tomlin. Heck, based on the job Mike Tomlin has done this year and throughout his entire career at Pittsburgh, we should aid the Coach of the Year Award after Mike Tomlin, the Mike Tomlin Coach of the Year Award. And there is a great, and I mean great case for Doug Peterson. But for me, one candidate rose to the top immediately this season, and he all but cemented the honor Last weekend, I am talking about New York Giants head coach Brian Dayball. Uh, 
don't get me wrong. Doug Peterson has done a phenomenal job at Jacksonville. But one of the most uh, common sayings about coaching is it ain't about the X's and the O's. It's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's. But Mike Tomlin broke that convention many times in his career, including this season. And Brian Dable broke that convention this year big time. He inherited arguably a bottom five roster in the New York Giants with absolutely no talent outside of Saquon Barkley and Dexter Lawrence, or, or proven talent at least. And he, he and his staff have just gotten the utmost, and I mean the absolute utmost, out of those guys. Daniel Jones is looking like oh. a competent NFL quarterback all of a sudden, and it's all because they've designed a scheme specifically around Daniel Jones' strengths. Oh my goodness. And they're getting the utmost out of guys they just picked off of waiver wires, like Isaiah Hodgins, like he just came oh. off the Bills practice squad, yet Joe Shane and Brian Dable spent all that time with him in Buffalo, and they thought he could contribute right away, and he did. Those guys just know how to maximize talent. Coaching matters, and Brian Dable has proven that more than ever this year. He submitted Coach of the Year honors this weekend, uh, last weekend, and that's all there is to it. And that is all I have to say. And in terms of GOAT of the Week, I am going to give my GOAT of the Week honors to Bengals linebacker Logan Wilson. As, oh, Vic, yeah. as Vic Fangio likes to say, Football is a death by inches game. And that Bengals Ravens game epitomized that theory. Like 17 17, the Ravens had all the momentum and they're about to score a go ahead touchdown. And on third and goal from the one, they run a quarterback sneak with Tyler Huntley who jumps a little too high. And before he's able to reach the ball out and break the plane, Logan Wilson punches the ball out and Cincinnati native Sam Hubbard is right oh. there, grabs it out of the air and runs 98 yards for the touchdown. You give all the credit of the world to Sam Hubbard, but Logan Wilson made that. Yes. Play. He's one of the more underrated defenders in our game today. And he wins my go to the week honors for super wild card weekend. Go to the week for you, Hal, for super wild card weekend. Well, you know, I, I've been the doubter of this guy. So uh, I've got to say he put me in, he put me in my place. I'm not going to doubt him anymore. I'm done with that. Um, you know, sorry, bye-bye, Trey Lance. You know, en enjoy your time uh, wherever else you <laughs> land. It's the Brock Purdy show, and Brock Purdy was the GOAT. Mr. Irrelevant, 332 yards passing, three touchdowns. I mean, just a command performance. Yes, he's surrounded by great talent, but uh, he's taking that offense to another level there and doing everything right and showing what a perfect fit he is in that Shanahan offense. So my go to the week, the much doubted by me, but no longer Brock Purdy. Oh, and the 49ers may have a very interesting decision on their hands come springtime. Uh, do they go into training camp and have uh, Brock Purdy battle it out with Trey Lance? Do they keep Jimmy Garoppolo or do they throw a curveball and sign somebody named Tom Brady? We just do not know. Fascinating times ahead for the San Francisco 49ers. And what about your dunce of the week for Super Wildcard Weekend, Hal? I hate to give him the dunce of the week because he's done such a great job all season long, but Mike McDaniel 
uh, head coach of the Miami Dolphins. I think he's still trying to get that fourth and one call in right now. I don't think he's got it in yet. <laughs> oh, my God. What is going on? So many delays oh of God. games, not able to get a play in. You've got a rookie seventh round pick quarterback, Skylar Thompson, and where the Shanahan system supported Purdy and made him shine, Skylar Thompson was done in by his coaching staff in Miami, specifically Mike McDaniel, the head coach, calling the plays down. And that mess on fourth down cost them the game. We had a chance for a great upset. What a thing it would have been to see Miami backing into the playoffs after losing all those games, losing Tua to the concussions and still finding a way to upset the division rival and Super Bowl favorite Buffalo Bills. What a story that would have been. And McDaniel, oh, you dunced it. Uh, and that's the sad part, because aside from that, Mike McDaniel coached a very, very yes. excellent game. Yes. Like a nobody, not even us, gave the Dolphins a not chance a to chance. be even remotely competitive in that game. And yet they took the Bills to the limit, starting a seventh-round rookie quarterback, along with an exceptional opportunistic performance by its defense against Josh Allen. They came millimeters away from pulling off an all-time upset, oh. but just due to a coaching blunder... Get, not getting the plane on time, that unfortunately did the Dolphins in. And we stick with coaches for my Dunce of the Week honors, and we have a shared honor for me. Chargers head coach Brandon Staley and Chargers offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi. First of all, Brandon Staley, you're lucky you still have a job now. You are lucky the Spanos family does business the way they want to and still prefer to keep you over giving somebody like uh, Sean Payton a chance with that organization because they don't like uh, uh, a single person having too much authority within that organization. And uh, you're lucky you're getting another chance because you just completely lost control of your football team oh. in the second half. And nothing explains that better than Joey Bosa two careless unsportsmanlike oh. conduct penalties and he's one of your team leaders when one of your team leaders loses it that means you lost your team and that and that just goes to show you how terrible and how underwhelming of a job you've done with this extra specially talented Los Angeles Chargers team. But as bad as you were, Brandon Staley, offensive coordinator Joe oh. Lombardi, you are even worse. Joe Lombardi just might be the worst offensive coordinator oh. in modern NFL history. How bad is he? Three of the four shortest passing offenses of the last 15 years have been coordinated by Joe Lombardi. One was led by Drew Brees in 2017. Granted, Sean Payton was calling the plays, though, and Drew Brees uh, was losing some juice in his arm even then. Uh, he was beginning his gradual decline in 2017, but that's what had to be done for, for Drew Brees at that time, and uh, he was able to overcome it. But in 2015 with Matthew Stafford and in 2022 with Justin Herbert, two quarterbacks with bazookas for arms, you averaged just 6.5 yards per pass attempt with Stafford in 2015. At 6.4 with Justin Herbert in 2022, you were just dinking and dunking and not using Justin Herbert, one of the most special quarterbacks in modern NFL history, potentially of all time, to his full gifts and abilities. 
you are just a disgrace, Joe Lombardi. And that's why you shared my Dutch of the Week honors with Brandon Staley. And speaking of uh, Brandon Staley and Joe Lombardi, let's talk a little coaching carousel. And as I mentioned, while the Chargers did not fire Brandon Staley, you were predicting that all the time, Hal, that the Spanos family would hang on to him for another season. They did fire, rightfully so, Joe Lombardi. And he was equally, if not more, deserving of the axe. And as Chris Mortensen reported shortly after the news of Lombardi's firing broke, one hot candidate to replace Lombardi and become the new play caller for Justin Herbert is former Colts head coach Frank Reich, who was the offensive coordinator for the Chargers once upon a time back in the day. How ideal would it be for the Chargers if they hire Frank Reich as their new offensive coordinator? It's not only ideal because you have the one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL and you get a quarterback guru to work with him. I mean, absolutely ideal in that regards. Number one, number two, he's still got $26 million coming to him from the Colts, Frank Reich. So you don't have to pay him squat because you're only whatever you pay him. He makes up that difference. He gets paid for by the Colts anyway. So Bring him in at a nice low salary. He's not going to care. He's looking for the best situation. And if I'm an offensive guru like Frank Reich, I'm looking at Justin Herbert and saying, oh, what I can do to rehabilitate my image with him. Perfect landing spot, perfect match, and even the money works. I mean, that's a grand slam right there. Oh, absolutely. And uh, Frank Reich, in my opinion, he was the least of the Colts' problems. Yeah. Uh, I say, uh, during his time as head coach of the Colts, he was a very creative play caller. Very creative. I thought he, leadership-wise, was great with that team. Again, that's the interfering uh, Ursay ownership mm -hmm. there. You know, whatever reason Frank Reich mm -hmm. was getting too much credit, I don't know what Ursay's problem is, but... Uh, you know, Mr. Thanks dad had seen enough and was uh, taking over and Jeff Saturdaying that franchise <laughs> into the ground, you know? Definitely. But uh, we are both simpatico that Frank Reich uh, is a perfect hire for the Chargers to succeed Joe Lombardi at offensive coordinator. And now on to the biggest name in the head coaching market right now. With Jim Harbaugh officially staying at Michigan, as we both expected, Sean Payton is now the most in-demand head coaching candidate with prior experience. His market is robust and heating up quickly. As Adam Schefter reported in December, Sean Payton is so eager to return to the sidelines that he has already assembled a potential coaching staff that includes Vic Fangio as his defensive coordinator. Fast forward to last week when Vic Fangio interviewed with the Panthers for their defensive coordinator job. And just a few days ago, Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson, who was widely considered to be the favorite to be the next head coach at Carolina, decided to withdraw his name from consideration and remain with the Lions. And who is Ben Johnson's boss? Sean Payton's assistant head coach for five seasons and very close friend Dan Campbell. This makes me wonder whether the Panthers are already in advanced talks with Sean Payton and that people really close to Sean Payton know that something's up. 
Do you get the feeling that if Sean Payton does decide to return to coaching in 2023, uh, keep in mind, there's still a very good chance he uh, returns to Fox for another season and waits for more opportunities uh, in 2024. But if he does decide to return to coaching this season, do you get the feeling it'll be with the Panthers? Uh, the Panthers just make too much sense. Uh, he's, you know, if he wants to do his package deal with Tom Brady, no problem there. Uh, plenty of cap space to bring in Tom. If they want to do that and draft a quarterback, they're at the, they're, they've got a top 10 pick. If they want to try to trade up or if they think one of those top three quarterbacks is going to land in their lap, uh, just sitting at nine, they're in great shape for that. And as we saw with the team playing, you know, Carolina played so well for Steve Wilkes here down the stretch as well. Um, this is a team with some pieces on offense, with a, a ascending defense, a defense that should be even better next year with some of those players that they have there. Oh, just imagine what Vic Fangio oh, can do with that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and Vic Fangio, they had to run that defense. I mean, uh, Shaq, Shaq Thompson for first team all pro right there. Let's yeah. go. Um, yeah, that that's scary. So it's a yeah, if he's going to come back this year, that's got to be his number one landing spot. And any dragging of his feet probably just trying to drive up that price for himself you got to beat that uh, tv money to keep him in on the sidelines for this year a lot of mystery around sean Payton right now as uh, his camp continues to leak uh, conflicting rumors uh, to the press at the moment but we must all sit back and be patient and wait and see going to be very fascinating to see what sean Payton decides to ultimately do and there are five head coaching vacancies right now but there are also 10 offensive coordinator vacancies right now, including one in New England with your Patriots. And as of right now, there are four known candidates for that job. Current Patriots tight ends coach Nick Cayley is the uh, in-house candidate. Former Patriots offensive coordinator and current Alabama offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien interviewed today. Vikings wide receivers coach Keenan McCardell, who played for Bill Belichick, but he was a wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns and Cardinals associate head coach and wide receivers coach Sean Jefferson, who played for the Patriots under Bill Parcells when they made it to a Super Bowl 31 against the uh, Green Bay Packers, I believe. Of yep. those four candidates, who is most likely to get the job? Most likely, I've got to go with Bill O'Brien. He has the experience, he has the fit, and he has that experience with the Alabama offense as well that you want to bring in and integrate with that New England offense already for Mac Jones. Mac Jones was such a great fit in Alabama quarterbacking that team. Same offense, Bill O'Brien has been there, done that in Alabama, been there, done that for New England. Bill O'Brien makes the most sense. Whether it's going to be him, you know, I, I think they're going to have to act quickly because he's going to have other offers. There's too many openings. And if he gets away, I'd have to say the least likely is tight ends coach Nick Cayley, who's getting some attention. The Jets are interested in him as well. But if you had him there last year and you put that mess of you know, what they threw out there with Matt Patricia, uh, Joe Judge. If Nick Cayley, if you thought he was capable, you would have moved it to him 
after the first game of the season. You know? <laughs> yeah. like, come on. Like, why, why would you leave him standing there with the tight ends all year? So, so I, he just doesn't make any sense for me. That seems like, you know, kind of like a token, uh, you know, we'll give him an interview just to keep him happy and hopefully he doesn't leave. But beyond that, I, I just don't understand uh, Kaylee. I, I love seeing Keenan McCardell there. Uh, the work he's done with the Vikings wide receivers. I mean, amazing. I mean, that's the guy you want, you know, Jefferson. Yeah. That's the kind of guy you want or Sean Jefferson. You know, I love Sean Jefferson. Uh, he stood out for me watching the hard knocks uh, in season with Arizona, his leadership, uh, the way he, as you know, as that associate head coach, he was right there. He was involved with everything. He really stood out as an up and comer and, you know, Hey, maybe he can bring Deandre Hopkins over with him as well. That would be something. So there's <laughs> not a bad thing. Work that trade. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I'd have to say though, at the end of the day, I, I I'm so intrigued by McCardell and Jefferson. Uh, Kaylee doesn't make any sense, but O'Brien has got to be the favorite just because he checks every box for the Patriots right now at offensive coordinator. Yeah, and as you and I were talking about weeks and weeks ago about why the Patriots were committing so many unpatriot-like situational errors all season long that cost them a playoff berth. You said a factor was that Belichick's assistants this year were mostly too uh, green behind the ears, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, there was too much inexperience, and his message that usually gets across wasn't getting across as smoothly as it's been in the past. And to correct that, uh, bring in a guy who's uh, been with the Patriots before and Bill O'Brien. Exactly. And Bill O'Brien is well known for getting his message across to players. So those guys <laughs> yeah. on the offense, if there's any problems, they're going to get an airful. That's just Bill's personality, uh, Bill O'Brien's personality. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And uh, one of the five head coaching searches, it's uh, concluding its first half. As uh, the Broncos uh, today interviewed 49ers defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans and interviewed Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn on Friday. And next week, the Broncos are expected to invite one to four of the head coaching candidates they interviewed to their facility for a second interview and shortly thereafter make a decision. As the dean of Broncos beat reporting, Mike Kliss of Nine News in Denver said yesterday, Sean Payton, Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn, and former Stanford head football coach David Shaw figured to be among the finalists for the job. Assuming Sean Payne either takes the Panthers job or returns to broadcasting, I personally think the latter is more likely based on the tea leaves out there. Which of the latter two would you offer the Broncos head coaching job to, Dan Quinn or David Shaw? You've got to look at it for the Broncos. Everything has to be uh, Russell Wilson. At this point, you're locked in on him. You're not going to get out of that contract. Which head coach has the plan for how I'm going to revitalize uh, Wilson? That's going to be number one. Dan Quinn, uh, great head coaching material, great defense on the defensive side of the ball. But, you know, again, he's going to he's not an offensive guy. He's going to have to walk in and have laid out that plan. We don't know what that plan is, who he's thinking about bringing in, um, but there's got to be there's got to be some plan there as well. And, and same goes to uh, David Shaw as well. Uh, you know, stepping down um, from Stanford there, and he's going to have to again. That's 
the biggest thing the Broncos are going to have to be because that was the swing and miss that wiped out this season. At the end of the day, it was all about Wilson. So uh, for Shaw, he's got to show that plan. Um, and for me, it's whoever has the better plan for Russell Wilson because somebody's going to have to come in and light that fire. And whoever does that is going to get that job. Here's the case for Dan Quinn then. It has been reported uh, that uh, Dan Quinn's preference for offensive coordinator, should he get the Broncos job, is Brian Schottenheimer, Ooh. who was the Seahawks offensive coordinator for a time when Russell Wilson was uh, in Seattle. And uh, contrary to uh, many takes out there, uh, Brian Schottenheimer and Russell Wilson actually got along uh, very well. So uh, I think he could do far worse than that. Oh, I mean, perfect plan right there. You know, I've got, his former offensive coordinator where he excelled in my back pocket. Perfect. You know, I mean, that's going to give uh, Quinn the edge there as well. I mean, Shaw, love Shaw, offensive background, very creative um, as offensive coordinator and then head coach with Stanford as well. But it's a whole different beast going from college to the pros. And just ask Carolina, you pick that hot college head coach, uh, Carolina, Arizona, Sometimes that doesn't translate to success in the NFL. And when you've got that kind of investment in, in Russell Wilson already built up there, you need a sure thing. So, yeah, I think this, if he can bring Schottenheimer over, that's his plan. Quinn's got to take the lead. Um, very, very good point. It's going to be fascinating because uh, Greg Penner, uh, word as he prefers Sean Payton, the Broncos uh, CEO and owner, um, Broncos minority owner Condoleezza Rice obviously prefers David Shaw because yes. she knows him from her days at Stanford. And George Payton, GM, prefers Dan Quinn because uh, Dan Quinn, when he was uh, being interviewed for head coaching jobs in 2015, he wanted George Payton to be his general manager. They'd known each other for a very, very long time. So we got competing interests in that group. It's going to be a wild, wild finish to that head coaching search in Denver. And while none of the five head coaching vacancies have been filled yet, both of the GM vacancies were filled this week with the Arizona Cardinals giving their general manager job to Titans director of player personnel, Monty Ossenfort, and the Titans giving their GM job to 49ers director of player personnel, Rand Carthon. Let's grade those players, starting with Monty Ossenfort, and I will uh, grade it first. Uh, I like Monty Ossenfort. Monty Ossenfort was a very gifted scout for the uh, Patriots. He was uh, their director of college scouting, along with being an, an area scout. And I think he did some work on the pro side as well. And then uh, did a masterful job uh, with uh, Mike Vrabel and the Titans, getting the, the talent there to uh, effectively help uh, Mike Vrabel become the successful head coach that he has been uh, so far. But I'm going to give this one a B because uh, there's something about bringing in Patriots people that uh, usually doesn't work out most of the time. Uh, and, uh, and unless they, uh, unless Kyler Murray uh, proves people wrong and becomes uh, a top five quarterback, or uh, they are able to get a franchise quarterback. If he doesn't pan out, it's, it's not going to matter. And uh, the Patriot way might be losing some of its luster. So I'm giving it a B. Yeah, I, I have it as a B minus as well. Uh, you know, we'll look at that Tennessee roster. I mean, there was a reason uh, <laughs> his boss was uh, John Robinson was fired in Tennessee. And that's a big part of that is, you know, 
those decisions. I mean, I, I hope Monty was in that interview saying, I was banging the table not to make that trade, you know, and, uh, <laughs> keep Brown there. Um, you know, I, maybe that's how he sold it. I don't know. Um, you know, very interesting hire for Arizona. They don't usually go outside of the organization. So that was very strange. But uh, like you said, uh, Ossifort checks all the boxes, you know, that time in the Patriots, I'm sure he talked about, oh, I was director of college scouting when we drafted Rob Gronkowski, you know, uh, throw something like that in there. <laughs> it certainly will impress the Bidwells, no doubt. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, I think they could have gone in a different direction if they were going outside the organization. There's too many other up-and-comers that have a little better track record. And looking at that Tennessee roster, I wouldn't be too impressed and be knocking down doors to hire him. So, yeah, I give that a B minus. And on the other hand, the Tennessee Titans themselves, who fired uh, John Robinson and saw Monty Ford uh, leave the organization this week, I think the Titans hit this one out of the park with 49ers director of player personnel, Rand Carthon, as their new general manager. The 49ers are a top five roster in football and Rand Carthon's fingerprints are all over it. Yes, definitely. He has been a huge part of building that roster, which top to bottom is impressive, uh, gets players, whether it's by trade, whether it's through the draft, um, you know, free agency, they have a plan. They know what kind of players they want. They're in perfect harmony, front office and head coach. And that's a beautiful thing to see. And that's why you see the 49ers uh, succeeding. That's the place you want to start poaching those behind the scene guys who uh, you can bring in and, and have that translate. So uh, definitely a slam dunk, a grade right there no doubt about it and uh maybe he trades for trey lance and takes care of that situation <laughs> in san francisco oh maybe <laughs> yeah. that's possible but i'm giving this an a plus and here's why the 49ers play a physical brand of football uh it is very similar in basic terms to the kind of football mike vrabel wants to play rand carthon has his eye on football players that fit mike vrabel's pedigree he he just knows how to find them and above all what uh, people have been saying about him is that he is the ultimate people person he knows how to uh, establish relationships and sustain them and he relates very well to everybody in the room uh, he's a true leader and, and that's all there is to it Titans hit a home run. Mike Vrabel now has a real partner in crime in Nashville, and I can't wait to see how they retool that roster A-plus for the Tennessee Titans hiring of Rand Carthon as their new general manager. And over the weekend, NFL insider Jason Lockett-Fora of the Washington Post, who lives in Baltimore and knows the Ravens organization quite well, he reported that the relationship between the club and Lamar Jackson is, quote, in tatters. And that front office folks around the NFL strongly believe the Ravens may have no choice but to tag and trade Lamar Jackson. If this comes to pass, and it's a big if because there's a lot of mysteries about the just how acrimonious that relationship is between Lamar Jackson uh, and the uh, Ravens uh, front office. But I think there is some merit to it because uh, Benjamin Albright, our good friend at 850 KOA in Denver, he said that the team that's expected to be at the front of the line for the 2019 NFL MVP services should that arise 
is the Atlanta Falcons. So my question is just how ideal of a fit is Arthur Smith's offense for Lamar Jackson? I personally think it's perfect, dare I say, oh my because gosh. it's one of the most exotic running games uh, in the NFL. He got weapons of the passing game and Kyle Pitts and, and, and Drake London, an up-and-coming offensive line, including one of the best guards in the league, and uh, Chris Lindstrom. Uh, I think if uh, Lamar leaves Baltimore, Atlanta is a very good landing spot for him. Oh, fantastic points, David. Uh, perfect slam dunk. Arthur Smith is certainly someone who will know what to do has the create i mean a quarterback uh like lamar we've seen it you have to build your offense to maximize his strengths that's what they were able to do in baltimore there's not many other franchises that are capable of that commitment which is why he lasted until the last pick of the first round for them to be able to trade up and get um you know, Arthur Smith as well. I mean, the, the work he did in Tennessee revitalizing uh, Ryan Tannehill's career. I mean, Tannehill was basically plucked off the, the junk heap at that point. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and Tannehill, uh, let's face it, in Miami, he was not a running quarterback for as athletic that he was. And that was added into his game. Remember, he had like six or seven rushing touchdowns in a season um, when he was there. Um, with Arthur Smith as his offensive coordinator. So certainly knew how to maximize the talent there that was underutilized. And you give him somebody with that kind of talent. Oh, what a, what a perfect landing spot. That would be a perfect fit. And they, you know, Atlanta, you know, with that Mike Vick pedigree, they are already ready to be, I mean, he would be so embraced by those fans down there. It would be Christmas every day in Atlanta. And he's a better passer than Michael Vick ever Much was. better, much better, Absolutely. for sure. He played in a Bobby Petrino pocket-centric offense at the University of Louisville. Lamar Jackson knows how to make throws from the pocket. He just wasn't 100% to play uh, in the playoffs this season, unfortunately. But if uh, the Ravens do have to uh, trade him, the Falcons are, an, are arguably the most ideal landing spot out there for Lamar Jackson. And now, after a couple-week hiatus, it's time to play our favorite game on this program, Truth or Exaggeration. You know how this game works, Sal. I make a statement, and you let me know whether you think I'm telling the truth or whether I'm exaggerating and why. And we start with Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr., who was eliminated from playoff contention by the Dallas Cowboys on Monday night. And uh, whether or not he returns in 2023 is still unknown. But Truth or exaggeration, not only will Tom Brady play in 2023, he will play all the way until the age of 50. You know, I'm going to go with the truth. I think when you're, you know, 45 and you're breaking your own passing records on a regular basis, <laughs> why stop now? I mean, he doesn't have Giselle at home anymore telling him to spend more time at home and stop playing that silly game as time has <laughs> ended. The, what, there's nothing standing in his way. He's free in every sense. A free agent can decide, hey, I want to you know, pack my bags and hit, team up with Sean Payton, or I kind of like the lifestyle here in Tampa, and going to get a new offensive coordinator and see what happens here. He's got options wide open. Yeah, I think he's definitely playing in 2023, and I think he would love the idea of playing and starting in the NFL at the age of 50. Oh, he's imagining all the different 
core body pajamas he can sell just from that for the for being the only person to do that and, and special water and whatever else he's selling these days oh the dream is coming true truth 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 on this one oh i cannot wait to see what unfolds from the goat going forward truth or exaggeration the detroit lions will win the nfc north in 2023 you know, it seemed crazy about two months ago, but I've got to say that's the truth. I mean, we knew the Vikings were a paper tiger all season <laughs> long. It was just a matter of, you know, <laughs> when they were, they're not going to win seven one score games next year. There's no way around it. Uh, Minnesota, uh, you're on the downside. Green Bay. We don't know what's going on there yet with Aaron Rodgers. And even if he comes back, we saw the talent disparity there uh, with the offensive playmakers and how that affected him. And I still don't understand what happened with that Green Bay defense. So I can't count on that <laughs> bouncing back next year. Uh, so, yeah. And, and, you know, and the Bears are still in full rebuild mode here. I think they're going to reload uh, quite a bit with all that cap space that they have and draft picks, but they're still, you know, a couple years away, no doubt about it. So yeah, Lions look like the best team in the NFC North right now. Uh, hard to argue against that, my friend. And in Indianapolis, the Colts are casting the widest net out of any uh, NFL team with a head coaching vacancy. By my count, it's like now 12, 13, if not 14 candidates they're interviewing but Jim Ursay wants to keep Jeff Saturday, and that is the worst kept secret in all of this. So truth or exaggeration, if Jim Ursay gets his way and promotes Jeff Saturday to full-time head coach, Colts star players such as Quentin Nelson and Shaquille Leonard will demand to be traded. Uh, my God, I would say it's a truth. You've got to have leadership at the top, and, and who's going to you know, put their brand out there to play. I mean, they may end up with Jeff Saturday just because Jim Ursay drives everybody away who interviews. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised in the least that nobody would accept that job. Uh, it's kind of scary when the owner's meddling in like he is and a franchise that had been so good for so long um, and his impatience and desire to get his hands all over this team God, he could end up with Saturday. How horrible would that be? Yeah, truth. I, anybody with half a brain would be running out of Indianapolis if Jeff Saturday's back. And staying in the ownership realm, it was reported by J.P. Finley, who is one of the top reporters on the Washington Commanders beat, that the sale of the Washington Commanders will get done sooner rather than later. And there is hope it could all get finalized and ratified by March at the league owners meeting. And also in the, at that report, he said that the top candidate to buy the Commanders is not Jeff Bezos. It is Josh Harris, who also owns the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. So truth or exaggeration. Josh Harris will become the new majority owner of the Washington Commanders. 
Yeah, I mean, I know the league wants that Amazon money in there, no doubt about it. I'm sure Bank of America, who's in charge of selling the team, wants that Amazon money involved here somehow. But no, the the, the report makes too much sense. Uh, you know, Harris has the ownership. He wants to, get, you know, he's got two of those clubs. He wants that third one. That's a big thing for owners having these multiple uh you know, franchises in multiple sports is a big deal. Um, you know, he's from the area originally as well. I think he'd be a great fit. Yes, he should be among the leaders. But, man, I just worry about the NFL trying to push Bezos in. We've seen the league up front off, you know, the office do that before, push whatever owner they want in, regardless of how much money somebody else bids. I just worry they're desperate for Bezos in their club. But Harris, yeah, he should be the front runner. I think he'd be a great fit to turn around that franchise as well. So I'm hoping that's a true. My, my heart is saying, please let it be a true. I feel you, Hal. Uh, Josh Harris was actually one of the finalists for the Broncos ownership as well. He was one of the final four bidders, but uh, obviously couldn't compete against Walmart money. But uh, as long as Jeff Bezos stays out of this, it looks like he is the presumed front runner to be the new owner of the Washington Commanders. And as I said earlier, there are currently 10 offensive coordinator vacancies in the NFL, but one team to the bewilderment of many has decided to stay the course at that coaching spot. The Pittsburgh Steelers, who this year finished 23rd overall in points per drive under offensive coordinator Matt Canada. And which teams were worse? The Patriots, who fired their offensive coordinator. The Cardinals, who fired their head coach and play caller, and hence they have an OC opening. The Bucks, who fired Byron Leftwich today. The Titans, who fired their offensive coordinator. The Commanders, who fired their offensive coordinator. The Jets, who fired their offensive coordinator. The Broncos, who will likely have a new offensive coordinator. The Texans, who will likely have a new offensive coordinator. And the Colts, who will definitely have a new offensive coordinator. So, truth or exaggeration, the Steelers made a big mistake by retaining offensive coordinator Matt Canada. Oh, you know, I, I, that was one I was sure was gone for sure. So <laughs> it seems like it should be a truth. You know, Mike Tomlin has no problem jettisoning his assistance at any time for all the stability at head coach there. They churn down at the uh, coordinator and assistant coach level, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of strange. I don't know if it's, it's a matter of we don't want to mess things up too much for Kenny Pickett where we've got him involved in this offense already. Maybe that's the case and they're taking it easy or maybe they just feel like with all those offensive coordinator openings, the person that they want isn't going to be available. It's going to be scooped up and gone before they can interview him. So Stick with what you know instead of getting stuck with somebody you don't want. I totally get the argument for uh, firing Matt Canada, but uh, the Steelers have a legit reason to keep him. And that is because he and Kenny Pickett go back quite a while. Matt Canada was the guy that recruited Kenny Pickett to, to the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, Kenny Pickett uh, knew uh, Matt Canada's offense years before he heard his name called on draft night. That's all there is to it. And uh, the Steelers are known for continuity. And uh, and like I said, even though I personally would have gone in a different direction with the Matt Canada, um, 
tried to not disrupt the flow of Kenny Pickett's development by uh, keeping a familiar face to lead it. Um, uh, there's uh, definitely a strong case for that. So I totally understand where the Steelers uh, are coming from. And we were praising new Titans GM Rand Carthon earlier in the show. And one of his first decisions is going to be whether or not to keep Ryan Tannehill. According to SpotRack.com, Ryan Tannehill, if released in 2023, would cost $18.8 million in dead cap. And a post-June uh, 1st uh, designation would split that cap up in half over two years. So, in other words, just uh, uh, $9.9 million a, a year for the next two years uh, would go to Ryan Tannehill against the Titans cap should they release him. So, in other words, uh, not expensive at all, at least in my humble opinion, to release Ryan Tannehill. So truth or exaggeration, Ryan Tannehill will not be the Titans starting quarterback in 2023. Yeah, I'm going to go with the truth. You've got the new leader in there. Um, you know, Carthon is going to want to get his own guy there in a quarterback. Why the heck not? Uh, Tennessee, what are they, 11th overall pick uh, coming up in the draft? So Definitely able to move up if they want to. Uh, want to hope somebody gets past Carolina uh, as a quarterback that can fall to them. Good spot to be in. Or, like I intimated earlier, hey, Trey Lance might be on the trading block. We know who's a big fan of Trey Lance. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think very likely uh, a new face there in Tennessee, a quarterback. It, definitely the need for it. Um, you know, I think the plateau of Ryan Tannehill, again, we forget he's going to be 34 this year. Um, he's had a lot of injuries that's slowing down some of his effectiveness running the ball. He hasn't been the same quarterback, um, you know, with changes in the offense there as well in Tennessee without Arthur Smith there at offensive coordinator. His play has definitely gone down. So uh, that's usually when we're going to make a move. So I'm going to go with the truth on this one. And last but not least, for truth or exaggeration, the Cowboys 49ers divisional round playoff game will be the de facto NFC championship. Uh, I gotta say exaggeration. Uh, you know, the Eagles are the number one seed for a reason. Uh, I still think the Eagles are a better team than the Cowboys. The Cowboys just have that maddening inconsistency that comes out and start to finish. You know, I mean, the Eagles what lost one game with Jalen Hurts at quarterback. Nope. The NFC championship, the real NFC championship is whoever is going to Philadelphia. Um, that's the real one. So I've got to go exaggeration on this one. And now let's preview one of the exciting divisional round playoff games that await us this weekend. And it starts in Buffalo, where the Bills host the Bengals on Sunday afternoon. That Monday night game that we were so excited about in December, which was obviously cut short uh, due to uh, DeMar Hamlin's uh, cardiac arrest, and they rightfully decided to cancel that game. But thank God we get to see the Bills and Bengals play weeks later with DeMar Hamlin out of the hospital and on the men. Thank goodness. I was so excited about that match that I'm even more excited about it now. But... When you look at one factor that can decide this game, it is the match between two strong spots on both teams that have suddenly become weaknesses. The Bengals offensive line and the Bills front four. 
The Bengals on Sunday are expected to be down three starters on the offensive line, with both Jonah Williams and Alex Kappa injured, and obviously Lyle Collins out for the season. However, Buffalo, on the other hand, is clearly missing Von Miller. With Von Miller, the Bills rank fourth in the NFL in pressure weight when rushing four or less. And since Von suffered that season-ending ACL injury, they now rank 27th. Thus, my question is, Hal, which Bills front four defender is the most capable of exploiting that injury-depleted Bengals offensive line because blitzing Joe Burrow still ain't going to work? Yo, it definitely is not going to work. And, you know, the answer should be Ed Oliver, but I think the Bengals are a little stronger in the interior, even without Alex Kappa. You still got Karras, uh, Volson, strong play as well. You know, I've got to say, somebody's got to take advantage of those injuries on the edge. Whether Jonah Williams, you know, Williams, whether he plays, he's not going to be 100% anyways, um, which could be scary putting him out there at 70%. Um, and like we said, we already know the situation at, at right tackle already. Um, so without Collins there. So, yeah, it's going to have to be one of those edge guys. And like you said, Mike, uh, you know, I think Buffalo, if you had uh, Vaughn Miller, you'd be punching your ticket for the AFC championship game right now. But unfortunately, that injury has really messed things up. So pressure's on. Um, let's see. AJ Espinessa. Yeah, no faith there. Shaq Lawson. No, no, no faith there. Boogie Basham. Yeah, yeah he's done better against the run, but no, no faith there. So it's got to be. Gotta be Gregory Rousseau. Rousseau is the one who has the talent, who has the ability. This is the stage. He's gonna have to step up. He's gonna have to show when Von Miller took him under his wing earlier this year and in training camp that all of those lessons he learned and that uh, special Von Miller playoff second gear rubbed off on him. So yeah, he's gonna have to be the one who's gonna have to step up. Greg Rousseau, it's all on you. Here's another potential advantage uh, for the Bills. Uh, last week, the Baltimore Ravens with Tyler Huntley, a quarterback, they had a sensational offensive game plan, dare I say. Like their running game, uh, they were, it was a run blocking clinic, dare I say. Everybody was like getting to their blocks on time on nearly every single snap. They were just gashing uh, the Bengals on run play after run play, and it definitely helps having a mobile threat in Tyler Hundley. And now the Bills, uh, you might not have an elite running game like the Ravens do from the running back position, but you have one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the NFL in Josh Allen. So my question is, do you anticipate the Bills using at least some of those run concepts that the Ravens used to perfection against the Bengals last week? Oh, you definitely have to bring that into the table, especially with Josh Allen and how dangerous he can be. Um, I've been saying all year, keep Josh Allen under bubble wrap, keep him wrapped in the bubble, keep him in the pocket. Don't let him run around. Well, guess what? We're in the playoffs now. Yeah. Bubble wrap is off. I don't care if you have to run them 15 times on design quarterback runs. If that's what's going to work against Cincinnati and get you to the next round, that's what Buffalo offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey, that's what you've got to be doing. So, yes, you definitely have to bring those, those run concepts in and pressure that Cincinnati defense. Baltimore gave you that blueprint. You're crazy not to even try it. 
I definitely agree there, man. And let's talk about some of the matchups that are going to decide this Bengals and Bills game. And I look at both of these quarterbacks, Joe Burrow and Josh Allen, against the signal callers, as in the on-field signal callers, for both defenses. Logan Wilson, uh, my uh, go-to-the-week from Super Wildcard Weekend, uh, being used as the spy against Josh Allen, uh, assuming the Bills are going to use more of those quarterback design runs that the Ravens used last week to uh, perfection, as I said, or first-team All-Pro Matt Milano going up against mm. Joe Burrow because Matt Milano is going to have to have his guys lined up on time to be ready for whatever Joe Burrow throws at them. Yeah, I mean – the advantage of Joe Burrow is he he can make that offense hum, and if he gets in a rhythm, uh, they look downright unstoppable. And you know that last game before the Demar Hamlin tragedy there during that game slowed it down. Uh, Burrow was like a knife through butter on that first drive through Buffalo's defense. So uh, they have to be ready because they got a preview of what he can do. And so Matt Milano, whatever you were doing on that Monday night for that first drive, didn't work, throw that out and uh, make sure you've got your defense ready to go here because there's just, you know, that three wide receiver Cincinnati offense is just so dangerous and so explosive. And if they get in a rhythm, it's a long night. I don't care how good your defense is. I totally agree there. And uh, the Bengals defense, however, they need a lot better performance this week than they had last week uh, because the Ravens gashed them on the ground, as I said. And uh, Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt, uh, they're going to have to take turns spying Josh Allen and get ready for some of those uh, design runs. Yeah, they definitely do. And, you know, a lot of pressure on uh, Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson on that edge as well, because we've, you know, talked about it this year multiple times. Josh Allen outside that pocket is just so, so dangerous extending that play. He and Patrick Mahomes have brought that to a different level in the NFL, uh, their ability to get outside the pocket, create, and still use the whole field. I don't know how many times seeing Josh Allen uh, gun the ball, the length, of, you know, completely diagonal across the field. It's just an natural reaction to, oh my God, that's going to get intercepted. But the these guys' arm strength um, and processing is just amazing. So, yeah, Allen outside the pocket is a huge potential problem. So, um, Hubbard, Hendrickson, yeah, you're going to want to tee off and try to get there. But, boy, you better maintain your discipline and hold that edge and keep him in the pocket. Uh, yes, and uh, Trey Hendrickson, uh, at, at least one point uh, during the season, was second in total pressures to only Miles Garrett. Trey Hendrickson is a game wrecker. And uh, Spencer Brown, the uh, Bills right tackle, isn't known for being an elite pass protector. So Hendrickson has a very, very excellent matchup on his hands uh, from a one-on-one -on -one perspective. But uh, he might have to mush rush for a significant part of the game to keep Allen contained in the pocket and not allow him to use his legs at all, whether on design runs or on pass plays that break down. And uh, I was looking forward to this mass matchup in December, and I think it's going to be just as consequential for this game. Uh, if you take the Bills secondary against uh, the Bagels wide receivers, uh, Tyler Boyd against uh, Bills nickel corner Taron Johnson, because uh, Tredavious White, uh, he's going to be shadowing Jamar Chase for most of the game. And uh, 
You got T. Higgins uh, on, at the other end, and I think the, the Bills are going to want to, uh, like, maybe double both of those guys. But right. Tyler Boyd's going to have a lot of one-on-ones against Taron Johnson. Yeah, and I mean, Taron Johnson is a very, very good nickelback, but, uh, mm. you know, not many teams have Tyler Boyd lining up in the slot either. And and that three-wide receiver alignment from Cincinnati is just so hard to slow down. Uh, so much talent there, uh, Higgins, Chase, and then Boyd there in the slot. So, yeah, that is a big, big matchup. And if Joe Burrow starts finding Tyler Boyd, Early and often, uh, that can really put the Buffalo defense back on their heels um, because that secondary has a lot of work to do in this game. Um, you know, I think we're going to see nothing but nickel and dime uh, defense from Buffalo as well, trying to flood that secondary and get as many bodies back there. Um, you know, maybe even see Tremaine Edmonds dropping back more in coverage as well because Cincinnati, that that's so tough to stop that and that light front is just going to open things up as well for that running game and it could be a big Joe Mixon game for Cincinnati if that offense is clicking and putting pressure on the Bills and keeping them in a nickel and dime situation. This game is by far the most difficult one to predict this weekend and I'm not kidding. Like, there's just so many potential advantages and disadvantages. This game literally could go either way. My brain is saying the Bengals win because uh, a lot of the matchups, most of the matchups we've talked about favor them. But my heart is just with the Bills because I do not see the Bills uh, playing the way they did last week. I don't see them being sloppy with the football like they were against the Dolphins. They're going to be much better prepared this week. And they are playing for Damar Hamlin. This game is going to be a very, very, very high scoring game that makes history. Just how much history? Stay tuned for bold predictions. But I'm just going to go with my heart and take the Bills. Oh, I like it. I wish I could agree, David, but I think you're. I, I've got to go back to that first point that you made when we started talking about this game and that Bill's pass rush without Vaughn Miller. They got him for the to be a difference maker in the playoffs and they don't have him available due to injury. And I think that's going to be the Achilles heel for the Bills and it's going to allow the Bengals to do just enough to outscore the Bills in a close game. Um, I, again, I think everybody in America is rooting for the Bills right now, but I've got to go with my head and say, I think it's going to be the Bengals in a close one, 29 to 25 over the Bills. My goodness, Al, you're making me want to go to my brain and take the Bengals, <laughs> but my heart won't let me. Uh, th that's how torn I am over this game. But I am going to go with the Bills just for the sake of difference on uh, this program and to trust my heart as well. And let's preview the other game on Sunday afternoon, if not Sunday evening for most of the nation, the 49ers hosting the Cowboys. And when you look at both these rosters, very talented, but Outside of Dak Prescott at that all-important quarterback position, is there any other component of the Cowboys roster that gives them a leg up on the 49ers? It is very hard to find. It is very hard to find. And, you know, boy, you know, it's almost impossible to find an advantage. But Dallas, if they're going to 
to have an advantage and hang with the 49ers and try to win this game, they're going to have to have their full offense out there. And that full offense means uh, both running backs, Zeke and Tony Pollard, both of those players last year, uh, you know, the 49ers, they were not able to get going against the 49ers. That was their Achilles heel last time uh, playing San Francisco. So this time around, that running game is so very, very vital for Dallas. They've got to match up at that running back position because San Francisco, with their running back, Christian McCaffrey, we saw it last week. He can take over that game, no doubt about it. Dallas, you've got to be able to match that, keep the ball out of that explosive San Francisco offense and run the ball. And not just run the ball, run it with the guy who can match Christian McCaffrey pound for pound, Tony Pollard. It's not yes. Zeke Elliott. It, it, this has to be a Tony Pollard game for the Cowboys. It just has to. Yeah, it, it definitely does. No doubt about it. Tony Pollard has to be featured. That's where their offense works with Tony Pollard. You can't put him on the sideline and ride Zeke and think, you know, save Zeke for the fourth quarter if you got to leave. That's when you want to be pulling <laughs> him out. Yeah. You want Tony Pollard on the field pressuring that defense. Uh, that defense is so fast, so aggressive, so strong up front. You've got to pressure those pass rushers and make them step back by respecting the running game. You've got to use Tony Pollard receiving out of the backfield uh, to pressure those safeties and linebackers as well. And that's exactly what Dallas didn't do last year against the 49ers. That was one of their big problems I had in the playoffs when they lost uh, going up against the 49ers last year. They didn't feature Tony Pollard. Uh, Zeke Elliott had three times as many uh, touches and targets as Pollard. Big mistake. Got to find a way to get the ball to Pollard, no doubt. And the Cowboys come into this game with revenge on their minds because last season in the wildcard round, the 49ers beat the Cowboys in their own building. What is the main thing the Cowboys must do differently compared to last year's wildcard playoff game against the 49ers in order to get that revenge? They got to find a way not just to get the ball in Tony Pollard's hand, but CeeDee Lamb. San Francisco shut him down completely last year. Last year, Dallas um, was targeting Cedric Wilson, was targeting Dalton Schultz because they, the 49ers defense took their biggest weapon, CeeDee Lamb, right out of that game. He had one reception for the entire game. Um, cannot happen again. You've got to get the ball, uh, Dak, where he's at his best, which he was doing last week, getting the ball out into his playmaker's hands. Let C.D. Lamb catch and run. Let Tony Pollard catch and run. Get them in the open space and put some pressure on that San Francisco defense because San Francisco takes C.D. Lamb out of this game like they did last year. It's game over for Dallas. Uh, that could be the case. And let's talk about more game-deciding matchups Sunday afternoon in Santa Clara. And this game features the two finalists for Defensive Player of the Year this season, and Micah Parsons and Nick Bosa. 
Micah Parsons going up against any 49ers offensive lineman outside of Trent Williams is a mismatch. And, and don't get me wrong, I love the 49ers offensive line. Easily the best run-blocking offensive line in the National Football League. But in terms of pass protection outside of Trent Williams, that's another story. And uh, Nick Bosa, Tyron Smith is now playing right tackle for the Cowboys. So I assume uh, the 49ers are going to want to line Nick Bosa up on that left side going up against Tyler Smith or old man Jason Peters. So uh, both Micah Parsons and Nick Bosa are going to have a lot of opportunities to feast on Sunday. Yeah, Dallas, uh, that that defensive front, like we said, and it's San Francisco, they just roll them through there as well. You know, uh, <laughs> can't block Nick Bosa. Don't worry. They got players behind. They got Ebicon. They got o Omenihu, who's stepped up this year. You've mm -hmm. got in the middle, Eric Armstead, uh, Javon Kinlaw, too. Javon Kinlaw. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, they're just so strong up front. And that's not even getting into, oh, hey, let's blitz Fred Warner, you know, or <laughs> send in uh, Hufanga from Strong Safety on a blitz <laughs> or something. I mean, they they can just do anything with that defense that they want. So, yeah, that, that Dallas offensive line is under a lot of pressure. They've got to keep Dak upright so that he can have time to to get the ball out. And, you know, it's not much of a weakness, but I guess you could say San Francisco, you know, their, their cornerbacks are very good and not great. So I guess that's where you would try to pick on them. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's not easy to move that ball against that defense, but uh, it starts with the offensive line. And that's who's going to have to set the tone for Dallas, uh, keep Dak upright and make some holes for uh, Tony Pollard. And we've mentioned Tony Pollard's name a lot in this segment for good reason, because uh, he is that explosive playmaking running back that could uh, match what the 49ers have with Christian McCaffrey pound for pound. But the bad news for Tony Pollard is he's going to have a 49ers defense anchored by the best off ball linebacker in the National Football League, Fred Warner. Um to, to run against and uh, Fred Warner is going to be prepared for whenever Tony Pollard touches the ball. You have to assume that. Yeah, exactly. And, and Fred Warner has that athleticism to stay with him step for step. There's the, just the only linebacker in the league that can do that. That's right. There's nobody else I know of that can do that. So, uh, you know, the unicorn Fred Warner. So yeah, if, if he can shut down Pollard, that's scary for Dallas and, you know, flip it the other side as well. Dallas, I mean, you're not looking at just trying to slow down McCaffrey there as well. Your defense has got, is going up against Debo Samuel, and they're going to put the ball in his hands in a lot of different ways, whether it's passing the ball downfield, whether it's running it out of the backfield, catching the ball out of the backfield, wide receiver screens, running back screens, uh, whatever. Whatever way they can come up with, you're going to see the ball trying to get Debo the ball in space because there's nobody like him once he gets up to speed. Uh, you know, you can't arm tackle him. <laughs> you can't catch him in the open field. He is a beast if he gets going. So, yeah, for Dallas, you're looking at both of those situations, McCaffrey and Debo, and looking at that defense and saying, all right, guys, it's it's not just Micah. We got to get everybody in there involved and being able to make plays in the open field or uh, they'll just gash them all game long. And a weak spot in the Cowboys run defense, cornerback Trayvon Diggs, as we saw last week, uh, 
in the win in Tampa and throughout the season, his effort lacks. And I mean, lacks so much of the time. It's just frustrating to watch, especially defending the run. And uh, because he's so timid playing the run. And therefore, we can expect Kyle Shanahan to run those outside zone stretches toward Trayvon Diggs all day long. Yeah, they're going to be looking for number seven and going right after him on that outside zone. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, and and that's been the argument against Diggs. You know, if he's t- if he's 10, 15 yards off the line of scrimmage in pass coverage, he's an all pro. But get him up at that line of scrimmage. And we've seen it, like you said, all year long. And especially last week, he was a huge liability in the run game. Uh, who do you think comes away with the victory Sunday at Levi Stadium, Hal? You know, my head is saying this should just be should play out just like it did against Seattle for San Francisco. Dallas keep it close for the half, and uh, you know, watch the watch the Forty ers pull away in the second half and make it a laugher. But I'm gonna go with my heart here. Maybe there's the reason the Cowboys can pull this out. Is this an upset special? I'm picking the Cowboys 24-23. How they do it is in the bold prediction. I so want to agree with you, Hal. I love Dak Prescott. He gets way too much hate, far more than he deserves. He is a franchise quarterback in this league. He might not be the uh, flashiest uh, toolsy player in in the pan but he just is super smart super accurate and he just kills a defense with his brain he, he he's kind of like a Peyton Manning almost and how he reads defense yeah. pre-snap he is that special but I predicted the 49ers would win the NFC and make it to the Super Bowl, and I am not doubting them now. I like the 49ers in this game. It's going to be close. It's going to be hard fought, but I think the 49ers eke out a 34-31 to 31 victory over the Cowboys. And now let's pick the other two division round playoff games starting Saturday afternoon at Arrowhead Stadium as Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs host Trevor Lawrence and the cardiac comeback cats, the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> Doug Peterson's done a phenomenal job with this team. Trevor Lawrence is well on his way to being one of the five best quarterbacks in our game. He might already be there for crying out loud, but the Jaguars, uh, their youth and inexperience is going to get the most of them going up against Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. They're going to battle hard, but at the end of the day, the Chiefs are too much. I like the Chiefs 31-21. Oh, you know, uh, I love the Jaguars. You know that. I've been riding them all season long. Can I pick a second upset special? Can I have two? Yeah, why the heck not? (laughs) I'm on Trevor Lawrence. I'm riding that train. It doesn't make any sense. I don't need any reason for it to make sense. It's the Jaguars. Somehow they're going to do it. 30 to 29, knocking off the Chiefs. Oh, you go with the road dogs. I love your <laughs> boldness, Hal. And last but not least, Saturday night in the city of brotherly love, the Eagles host the Giants. Brian Dayball and the New York Giants. They have proved everybody wrong so far this season. And there's something about the Giants culture of being underdogs on the road in the playoffs. And Jalen Hurts, 
Uh, he may be closer to 100% than he was two weeks ago, but just how close is he? And how strong is Lane Johnson going to be? And there's a guy on that Giants defense named Dexter Lawrence who gave Jason Kelsey fits uh, in their first meeting of the season when the uh, starters for both teams played. I just have a feeling we're in for a stunning upset on Saturday night. I am going with Coach of the Year, Brian Dable, and the New York Giants to upset the Eagles. I love it, David. Hey, I'm picking road dogs all day here today. Can I do one more? No, I can't. (laughs) I can't do it. You know, uh, third time a charm. I just don't see it for the Giants. Uh, I think this is a one of those big Miles Sanders games, he's going to blast off for 150 plus yards rushing. They're not going to be able to slow him and hurts there um, running the ball. I want to pick the giants. You know, nobody loves Brian Dayball like I do, but I got to give it to the best team in the NFC, the Eagles at home with a healthy Jalen hurts 30 to 20 over the giants. And now it's time for our bold predictions for divisional round weekend. And I will go first here. The Bills and Bengals, they end up in one of the most high-scoring playoff games in modern NFL history. The Bills win 48-45. to And why is that the case? Neither team in this game will punt once. That is my bold prediction. Wow. Oh, I like that. Oh, no, I don't feel like I'm not bold enough here. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> you always make me feel like I'm not bold enough. <laughs> so um, the much maligned, most maligned Dallas Cowboys kicker, Brett Maher, um, under the gun, no doubt about it, after missing not one, not two, not three, but four extra points last week. Well, he's going to make all three extra points this week. No doubt about it. But he's going to boot with no time left on the clock. The 58-yard game-winning field goal to put the Cowboys over the top and upset the mighty 49ers this weekend. Uh, From much maligned to hero, that's my bold prediction. Oh, I really love that one, Hal. You are just as bold as me this week, and I love it. And as always, we conclude our program with our challenge flags. I will go first here once again. Dallas Cowboys, make my friend Hal's prediction about you come true by being the bully. The 49ers went to your house last year, and they punched you in the gut. Come in and get ready to play their style of football all game long. Run the snout out of that football. Whenever they punch, punch back harder. Whenever they sack uh, Dak Prescott, sack Brock Purdy even harder. Just match the 49ers pop about and I'll do that by beat the bully, beat them at their own game. That is my challenge flag. I like that, David, indeed. My challenge flag, you know, as enticing as it is to see a a Bengals Chiefs or a Bills Chiefs matchup in the AFC. I want that Cinderella story. I want Trevor Lawrence, Doug Peterson moving on. So Trevor, Doug, it's time for the magic. There's no pressure. There's nothing to lose. You're not supposed to be here. 
you've already had that amazing comeback. Keep the Cinderella story going. Play loose. Play fun. Have fun. Shock the world. Go Jaguars. You've got the challenge flag thrown. Take advantage of it. He is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen, of full press coverage. You can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. Hal, thank you so much once again. And that's it for today here on Sports Crutch. But we'll be back next week to recap Divisional Round Weekend, preview Conference Championship Weekend, and discuss all the latest on the coaching carousel, plus other news and notes from around the National Football League. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 as well as on Instagram and now TikTok at Sports Crutch with Dcrom. And remember, that's Crunch with AK. Also, a friendly reminder that a week from this coming Monday, I will be headed down to Mobile, Alabama to cover my fifth Senior Bowl. Stay tuned for some incredible content all week long with prospects and NFL beat reporters as we kick off our annual Dash to the Draft coverage. For Hal Bet, this is David Cromwell, and as always, choose love, choose kindness, choose compassion, choose selflessness, and choose empathy, which are some of the core characteristics of the best teammates like Damar Hamlin and teams. Until next time, cats and kittens. Stay cool.